Amen. It's good to see everybody tonight. I'm going to get that out of the way because I'm really short, and so uh, we'll get that out of the way to start with. If you have your Bibles tonight, we'll turn to the book of John, chapter number 11. John, chapter number 11. And I, uh, to say that I'm honored to be able to uh, preach to you tonight is an is a, uh, immense understatement. Uh, Pastor Neil called me on uh, Sunday night. We, were, we left Sunday night after church to travel down uh, halfway, and uh, he called me and uh, said, are you coming into town? I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, I'm leaving. I said, all right, that sounds good. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, he, said uh, he asked me if I would uh, speak tonight, preach tonight, and I told him I'd be honored to. So uh, we're glad to be here this evening and, uh, and uh, good to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, I told my wife I was going to say this. Uh, I want to apologize to all of you that lost money on who was going to be preaching tonight. I know you all take bets when pastor's out of town to see who's going to be preaching. So I'm sorry that you lost money on me tonight. But uh, uh, hopefully uh, uh, what the Lord gives us from the word of God will be a help to you. Uh, Brother Stanley mentioned something about the camp. I was not planning to say anything about the camp, but since he uh, brought it up, I, uh, I'll try not to talk too long about the camp. When I start get started, it's hard to stop. The Lord has really been blessing our church and blessing our camp ministry, and he keeps providing. Uh, the Lord gave us, uh, in uh, 2001, January, he gave us nine acres of land to, to put a camp on. Uh, actually, a preacher uh, in 2017 had, had told me when he came to preach for me the first time, he said, you need to do a camp ministry around here. This would be a great place for a camp ministry. I said, preacher, it takes people, it takes property, and it takes provision to have a camp, and we don't have any of that. And, uh, but uh, little did I know uh, what God had planned, and in 2001, God gave us the, the acreage of land. It had not been inhabited for 20 years, and so you can imagine the overgrowth. Uh, the Lord's allowed us to clear that. There was a couple buildings on the property. We've added three other buildings to that that the Lord's provided for uh, through uh, the giving of our church members and then the giving of other churches that have, have donated us. Uh, Brother Stanley's dad has helped us out tremendously. And, uh, and uh, I, once again, I could, I could talk for an hour, but I can't. I've got to get to the message. Amen. Uh, but just continue to pray for us. Uh, those of you that were at camp last year, you will have electricity this year. I told Brother Stanley when he said he was going to bring some last year, I said, there's no electricity. You'll have running water, but it won't be hot, you know, and, and, but uh, you came, you were brave enough to come anyway, so I appreciate it, but this, this year we'll have those things up and going, and I uh, have a lot of plans to have done for this summer, and you just pray for us, the Lord provide for everything that needs to be accomplished before the summer comes, and uh, looking forward to what the Lord has for the days ahead. John chapter number 11, a very familiar passage of scripture, uh, and, uh, and I'm sure that uh, in your daily Bible reading, you've read this recently, uh, but I want to give you something tonight that I, I hope will be a blessing to you. As I was reading through my daily Bible reading, I came across this as well and was reminded of this thought uh, that I preached one other time uh, to our church people uh, back in Alabama, and uh, I believe this is what the Lord would have for us tonight. John chapter number 11, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that said he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. 
His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, There are not twelve, excuse me, are there not twelve hours in, a day, in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of, his, of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I, might, that I may awake him out of, out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Death is a word that we as human beings despise. It's not one that we enjoy at all. In fact, here recently I was at a funeral of a, a dear friend of ours uh, that uh, the, the son's mother had passed away. He was pastoring the church. He was trying to do the funeral for his mother. And he made the statement that death is a nasty, ugly word to us as humans. The fact is that there's separation that comes with death. And that's what he was referring to. The, the, the separation that uh, those that I love I'm not able to be with. Yes, I know that I'm going to see them again, but right now there's pain in my heart. Right now there's separation. Right now there's grief. And grief is a real thing. It's not something that we should ignore. It's, and everybody grieves a different way. But death is a part of life. Death is a word that many despise. It's an unpleasant, painful part of life that each of us are affected by in one way or another. Either you're affected by the physical death of a loved one, but then on the spiritual sense, we're affected by the spiritual death of loved ones at some times, where they had once served God. They were once on the, on, on, the, uh, on the firing line for the Lord, but now they're not anymore. And they're spiritually dead. They're not doing anything for God. Uh, then there's the death of relationships, friends that we once had, family members that we, we, which we once had close relationships and close fellowship with that we don't, we're not able to have that anymore, and there's the death of that relationship that we grieve over, that we hurt from, and these things happen. There's the death of dreams. We all have dreams and hopes and plans in our lives, and there are times in our lives that those dreams, if you will, pass away. They die. We, we get to points in our life that we, we, we had a hope, we had a dream, we had plans, and then now it looks like those things will never come to fruition. And there's hurt and there's pain that comes along with that. Our text tonight here is verse number 14. It's a very unusual text to take for a sermon, I think. But Jesus makes the statement here that we use for the title of our message tonight, Lazarus is dead. Three words that Jesus was very blunt with the disciples. Understand, not only did Jesus love Lazarus, but the disciples loved Lazarus as well. In fact, Jesus refers to him as Lazarus, our friend. And he looks at them and he says, Lazarus is dead. It is human nature during these times to weep. Many of us complain. We ask questions, why this would happen to me. No matter what type of death you may currently be facing or will face in the near future, the Bible has the answers that we need to help us in those times. 
The Word of God is relevant for no matter what situation you're, you're facing tonight, the Word of God has exactly what you need. I heard preachers say this my whole life. I've grown up in independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist churches my whole life since, my six year, since I was six months old, rather. My dad pastored a church, and so I've heard preachers say over and over and over and over again uh, through my life uh, that uh, the Bible has the answers for everything that you need. And there's many times, as a young man, I question that. I'll just be honest with you. I'll let you know how unspiritual I am. I question that. But I'll tell you this, the longer I live, the more I walk with the Lord, the more I read the Word of God, the more I find that that's true. The Word of God does have exactly what we need for every situation. Tonight, I want to take this passage of Scripture in John chapter number 11 and give you some truths that I believe will be a help to you if you'll take them and remember them in those times when you're facing the death of a dream, the death of a loved one, the death of a relationship, no matter what it is you face. The word of God can give you what you need. Dear Lord, I pray that you bless tonight your word. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you once again today to fill me with your power. Lord, I'm nothing without you. Lord, we need you tonight. I pray that you'd go by every, every row, Lord, and speak to each heart. Lord, give us exactly what each of us need from your word tonight. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and shedding your blood that we may have salvation and spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first thing I want to point out is found in verse number 5. When we face death, we need to remember not to doubt the Lord's love for us. The Bible says in verse number 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. See, many times when we face times of loss in our life, times where we don't feel like, we don't understand why this would happen to us, why this situation would come our way, we doubt whether anybody even cares what we're going through. Because we, we're the one that's feeling the pain right now. Nobody, uh, to, to walk up to somebody and say, I know what you're going through, is really not a great statement to make. Because although you may have gone through the same situation, you didn't handle it the same way they're going to be handling it, and it may not have affected you the same way it's going to affect them. Because you're different individuals. And so uh, many times, though, when we face those situations in our life, we don't, we don't understand why it's happening to us. We, we feel like we're on an island by ourselves. But when we feel that way, we need to remember something. There's a God in heaven who loves me. I mean, if, if you can ever get in a place in your life spiritually where hearing that Jesus loves you does not do something for you in your heart, you're in a cold place in your life, and you better hit your knees quickly. Because the love of God is the most powerful force known to man. The love of God. I, uh, it's greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes behind, uh, beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. There's nowhere the love of God does not reach. And tonight we need to remember that there is a God in heaven who loves each and every one of us in here tonight does not matter where we've been. It does not matter where we are in our life. There's a God in heaven who loves us. Do you understand that God loves the ones who have thumbed their nose at him and have rejected him and have rejected truth? God still loves them as much as he loves you because God doesn't love on levels. God loves us all the same. There's not one person in here that God loves more than another person. 
He's extended his love to each and every one of us. The Bible tells us, of course, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. The Bible tells us that God loves everyone, and he loves the entire world. There's not one person that God does not love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. I love the word of God. I love the wording of the word of God. If you'll take a, I don't encourage you to do this, but these newfangled versions out there, it says, for God loved the world so much that he gave. Well, that doesn't sound like a big deal, Pastor. Or you're, you don't call me Pastor. Brother Montgomery, I'm sorry. Uh, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But it is a big deal. Because it changes the meaning of the, wor- the, the verse of Scripture. You see, when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, the death of Jesus Christ is a demonstration of the love of God. It puts no limit on the love of God. But if it, you say, for God loved the world so much, it puts a limit on the love of God. That the cross is just, that's where the love of God ends. That's, a, that's the limit of it. But there is no limit to the love of God. Hey, it goes uh, wherever we go. The love of God goes. Uh, it's there for us in our darkest times. The Bible says in John 15, verse number 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Hey, I'm glad to know that Jesus loves me. Uh, I know that we're past the nursery age. But it would do us good if we would remember, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Hey, we need to remember that Jesus loves us tonight. Hey, the love of God. Uh, don't doubt the love of God in times of loss, of times of, of despair, of times when we don't know what's going on in our lives, in times of death. Don't forget the love of God. I move quickly because nobody told me what time to be done and if I don't get done on time, everybody's going to be mad at me because I know you're going to be hungry. So we'll move quickly. Number two, I want to say this. When Lazarus dies, we need to learn to wait on God's timing. This is a lesson that I have been learning throughout my Christian life. And I will continue to learn until Jesus comes again. I've learned a little bit of it. Don't get me wrong. I've taken some lessons that God has put my, sent my way, and I've, I've learned it for that moment in time. But there's going to come another time where I'm going to have to relearn that lesson. I mean, the Christian life is not a one-time, one-and-done thing. It's, you know, over and over and over again. You've got to, especially when you're as dumb as I am, you have to be taught over and over and over again. But we need to learn to wait on the Lord. The Bible says in verse number 6, And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Message had come to the Lord Jesus Christ that Lazarus was sick. Jesus, after hearing that the one who he loved was sick and needed him, said, I'm going to wait two days. Why would God wait? Because he had a plan. In fact, he even told us that there was a plan in verse number 4. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. He had to wait, if you will. He had to wait for the situation to get bad enough for him to show up. 
because he wouldn't have gotten the glory that he needed that was, that was the purpose until that situation got bad enough. You see, if God shows up the first time you get a sniffles, hey, I'm glad he answers prayer. And sometimes he does that. I mean, over and over again throughout the word of God, we've seen Jesus who has healed those that were sick. Think of Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus healed her, and that's a wonderful miracle because if God would heal a mother-in-law, he'd heal anybody. I had to get that in here. But God had the, had the ability, Jesus had the ability to heal when he was just sick. And yes, God would have gotten glory from the healing of Lazarus while Lazarus was just sick. But that was not the extent of the glory that God had planned for Lazarus' life. And you don't know but that what you're going through is so that God could get more glory from your life than he would if he showed up when you thought he should. You see, we need to wait for the Lord's timing. God's will is a perfect will. And when I say that, most Christians will say, Amen, that's right, God's will is perfect. We need to seek God's will. We need to follow God's will. Everybody be on the same page there. But let me tell you that God's timing is perfect as well. God's timing is perfect as well. You see, living by faith means trusting God's timing too. It's not just trusting the direction of, that God has for my life, but it's also trusting the timing that God has for my life. I was saved as a teenage young man at 16 years old. Shortly thereafter, I surrendered to preach. And from the time I was 16, 17 years old, I believed with all my heart that God wanted me to pastor. I, I knew that God wanted me to pastor. I graduated from Bible college, and uh, <clears throat> Dr. Tom Neal offered me the opportunity, the privilege to work for him. And I worked on the janitorial staff when I started. And I thank God for those days. I learned a lot. I probably didn't learn as quickly as I should have, but I learned a lot. I believe with all my heart that God wanted me to pastor. When I was 29 years old, I got a call from Preacher Neil. And he said, there's a church that needs a pastor, and I'm going to recommend you to them. And I said, yes, sir. He's, every time I'd gone to and you could ask preacher this now. Every time I would go to preacher every six to eight months. And as a preacher, God wants me to pastor. He'd look at me and he said, are you ready? Now, that's a loaded question. Because if you say yes, he's like, no, you're not. See, they're right there. And so my answer always was, no, sir, I guess I'm not. And he said, all right, just keep learning. And so God gave me the opportunity to go pastor. I pastored that church for one year. And uh, through a course of events, I ended up back at Berean Baptist Church uh, after one year. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was heartbroken. I was my, I, that was the most gut-wrenching decision I ever have made in my life. I'll just be honest with you, just standing right here before you tonight. I wanted to throw up every single day for months. And, uh, but 
I did what God, I believe God wanted me to do. And uh, started working with Brother Warden. Where, there he is. He was, I was making sure you weren't still sleeping in your car, brother. Uh, I, I, was, I started working with Brother Warden and working at the church. And, and uh, I, I didn't know what the Lord wanted. Then the Lord gave me the opportunity to work with the college. And I'm sorry, everybody, you know. But, uh, but the Lord gave me the opportunity to work with the college. And uh, what a great time. I, I enjoyed that time greatly. And then when, we, when the decision was made to close the college, I, I told my wife, I said, I know God wants me to pastor. I said, we, you know, I'm going to go talk to Pastor. Pastor Neal was pastor of the church at that time. And I'm going to go talk to Pastor Neal, and I know God wants me to go pastor. So God, seeing God open a couple doors, and we walked through those, and, man, those guys shut right in our face. And uh, so it was in December of 2016. I said, I'm going to go talk to Pastor Neal. And I said, and if, if there's nobody that needs a pastor... I said, we're just going to go start a church. I said, because there's people out there that need the Lord. They need the gospel. I said, we're just going to go start a church. And uh, so I went to go talk to Pastor Neil. He said, why don't you come back to me after, after the new year? Come talk to me. I said, okay, I'll do that. So, you know, I'm praying all through Christmas. You know, I think I know what, what the Lord's going to do, you know. So I go in to go tell Pastor Neil that I was going to go start a church in January. And I don't ever recommend anybody doing that, you know. Not a good thing. Uh, I had never done it in any counseling session before in my life. I don't know why I thought I knew enough that I needed to do that now. But, you know, I told you before I'm dumb. But um, I walk into the office and I sit down and talk to him. And before I can even get a word out, he said, well, Mark, he said, I think you just need to surrender to stay here. And I tell you what, it felt like somebody had just punched me in the gut. I wanted to throw up. I literally sat back from the table. I put my arms on my knees. I took a deep breath, and I looked up at him, and I said, yes, sir. I'll do it. And I got up, and I walked out of the office, and I was mad. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, I'm human like everybody else. I was mad. I wasn't mad at him. I was mad at the situation. Like, God, why would you give me a desire in my heart to do that? I know you put the desire there. It's not something that I wanted to do. I mean, why would I want to get paid next to nothing to give my life for people and have them spit in my face? I mean, why would I want that? Not everybody spits in your face. But there are a few. I know I didn't put the desire in my heart. And I was mad. And I wasn't mad at Pastor Neil. I'm ashamed to tell you, I was mad at God. And for a solid month, I fought. I was bitter. I was letting bitterness take over my life. I wouldn't have been a use to anybody at that point. I certainly wasn't a use to my family. One night, I can't tell you what was being preached, but the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of my heart. And I knelt down in the, in the tent at that altar. And I said, God, I surrender. I'll stay where you want me to stay. I'll go where you want me to go. I'm yours, not mine. A truth that I have preached to young people and to others 
hundreds of times. But I had to surrender to again in my life. It's not something I hadn't surrendered to before, but I had to surrender to again in my life. Through the course of events, I had surrendered. I was cutting grass and doing whatever needed to be done. And got a, uh, when it's go, I was going to go up and preach for my dad for a revival. I preached for him every year. I preached for him. It was May 9th, which was my birthday, and my dad got a call from the doctor and told him that he had stage 4 lung cancer. And my dad said, I don't know what I'm going to do. They say that, you know, I'll be dead in five years uh, just looking at the statistics. He said, I don't want the church to not have a pastor. He said, I don't know what to do. And uh, I'd already been scheduled to go back up there and help him put a roof on the church uh, three weeks later. So I went back up there and we're putting a roof on the church and got a call that uh, I had to move like in two weeks from the place where we were living. And uh, my dad said, he said, what do you think about coming and pastoring the church? And I said, well, I would be open to it, but you need to call Pastor Neil. Now, that's my dad. But Pastor Neil was my pastor. So I said, you need to call, you need to call Pastor Neil before we talk any further on that. And so he called Pastor Neil, and Pastor Neil said, yeah, go ahead and talk about it. So we had the discussion, and I said, if this is the Lord's will, I'm for it. I said, but let me go back and talk to Pastor Neil before you bring it to the church. So I went back and talked to Pastor Neil. We were at the Dunkin' Donuts. I do like the old-fashioned donuts, but their coffee is terrible. But <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts on, uh, on uh, 17, I met him over there. And uh, I remember him saying these words to me. He said, well, Mark, he said, when I told you that you needed the surrender to stay I didn't know why I was telling you that. I just knew it was God's will. He said, but if you had gone and started the church then, you wouldn't be available to go and pastor this church now. You see, God's timing is perfect. I know it was a long story, a long illustration, but I want you to understand, no matter where you are at in your life, if you'll keep God first, if you'll put God first, he will work things for your good. It's almost like Romans 8.28 actually works. If we'll work it by yielding ourselves to God. You see, when you're facing a time where you feel like Lazarus is dead, and maybe Lazarus is dead, why don't you just wait on the Lord's timing? Number three, I'll say this. Bury Lazarus. The Bible says in verse number 17, verse number 17, he said, the Bible says, Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. They buried Lazarus. He had died, and they buried him. That is what you do. I mean, we don't carry our loved ones around after they pass away. We bury them. When your dreams die, you've got to bury them. When relationships die, don't try to hold on to them and carry them around. Bury them. 
How do you bury them? By taking them to the Lord. Just like I said at that altar in the tent where I said, Lord, I'll stay where you want me to stay. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I buried my dream right there because at that point, I didn't think I was going anywhere. At that point, I didn't think I would ever pastor a church. I said, Lord, it's yours. If you don't want me to pastor a church, I won't pastor a church. I'm yours. I buried my dream. What I felt like God had for me, I buried it. It was dead. It was in the grave for longer than four days, let me tell you. But you've got to bury those dreams. Sometimes you feel like, I know what God's want me to do. Or uh, I'll be friends with this person till, the day, till, till Jesus comes because we'll, neither one of us will ever change. I've learned enough now to say, never to say that again. But let me say this. When that happens, bury Lazarus. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to have the peace of God that you need while you're carrying a dead carcass around. You're not going to be a help to anyone else because your hands are going to be full. Because you've got this dead carcass that you're carrying around of your dreams. And after a while, it's going to start deteriorating and decomposing. And it's going to ruin your spirit. And the bitterness is going to affect others. And many are going to be defiled. So you need to learn to bury Lazarus. Number four, I'm almost done. Don't allow your faith to waver. Verse number 25, this is a very interesting and needful exchange to look at in this passage of Scripture because Martha has now come to Jesus. And the Bible says in verse number 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? You see, Martha had come out. She had said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother had not died. I know you could have kept him from dying. And Jesus looks at her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? Do you believe in who I am, Martha? Do you believe that I am the one who is the resurrection and the life? Do you have faith in me, Martha? And her response is, she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. What an answer. I mean, Peter gets the accolades for saying that, that you're, you're, you know, thou art Christ, you know, uh, you're the Son of God. But Martha said it too. She believed who Jesus was. Her faith in him did not waver even though she was going through grief. You can grieve and still have your faith planted on the solid rock of ages. There's nothing wrong with grieving. There's nothing wrong with hurting. But in those times, make sure that your faith is anchored to the solid rock. Make sure that your faith does not waver. Because what happens many times, we take it personal when things don't work out our way. And we do begin to blame God. And we, we begin to blame God, we start doubting everything about God. I mean, you just open yourself up to questioning God. I had a, a guy I was witnessing to the other day. And he asked me, he says, 
how do you know that you're saved? I said, I know because the Word of God said it. Well, how do you know that's the Word of God? By faith. Oh, I mean, we can study all the history and all that stuff, but when it all, you boil all that down, it comes down to faith. It comes down to faith. I believe the King James Bible is the inspired and errant infallible word of God by faith. And it's not up for discussion. When you start trying to, to discuss, now let me see here. Let's look at this intellectually. You know what? No one's ever come to God intellectually. He didn't say, for by intellect are you saved. He said, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There is no one that can reason their way into favor with God. You see, we in times where our, we're rocked to the core, if you will, by situations that come into our life, and we have to hear the news, Lazarus is dead. And it's very pointed news. We need to make sure that our faith never wavers. That we keep our faith in the God of heaven. And lastly, I lied, next to lastly. There's one more page. Realize Jesus cares. Now, I already told you that Jesus loves you. And he does. But I want you to understand tonight that Jesus cares about what you're going through as well. It's not just that he loves you, but he knows what you're going through, and he cares that you're going through it. The Bible tells us, most famous verse of Scripture, first verse of Scripture you ever, you ever memorized, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Many have discussed, why did Jesus weep? Some think that Jesus wept because of the lack of faith that people had in him. Certainly that could be true. I wouldn't argue on that. But I'll tell you this. Jesus stood by the tomb. He saw how they were grieving, and he wept. I know this. The Bible says that he keeps our tears in a bottle. He knows when we weep. He cares when we weep. One of the greatest thoughts that a Christian can keep in the forefront of their mind as they go through this life that is difficult, to say the least, is that Jesus cares about what I'm going through. There's not going to ever be a time when Jesus does not care about what you're going through. He cares about the pain that you feel when no one else knows about it. He cares about the loneliness that you feel. He cares about the disappointments and the betrayal that you feel. But you know, he felt that, all that as well. The Bible says he was all, in all points test, tempted like we are, yet without sin. He's felt every emotion that we have. And he cares about what you're going through. Lastly, I'm telling the truth this time. And I'll be done. We move back to verse number four. When Lazarus dies, accept that Jesus has a plan. The Bible says when Jesus heard 
When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Some may say, Well, right there, you have Jesus, who didn't know what was going on, and the death of Lazarus caught him by surprise because Jesus said the sickness is not unto death, but Lazarus died. He had to turn around and, and correct his mistake because he said Lazarus is dead, is dead a few verses later. No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. Uh, if you think that, you don't know the Lord. Let me ask you something. At the end of John chapter 11, was Lazarus dead? Nope. So was his sickness unto death? Nope. Because God had a plan. He knew exactly what he was going to do. Jesus knew before he ever tarried those two days, because he is God and in the foreknowledge of God, he knew that before he ever tarried those two days, he was going to stand at the door of that grave and he was going to holler, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus was going to come out of that tomb. The Bible says, I love this, my mind, you got to bear with me. He was in his grave clothes. I don't know if he floated out. I don't know if he hopped out. All I know is that he came out. And Jesus said, loose him. Jesus called out to Lazarus. He raised him from the dead because he had a plan. Did anyone else know Jesus' plan? No. The disciples didn't know Jesus' plan. Mary and Martha didn't know Jesus' plan. Lazarus certainly didn't know Jesus' plan. No one knew Jesus' plan. But he had a plan. He knew exactly what he was going to do. You know, it's been said over and over again. Nothing ever catches God by surprise. You know that loss that you feel? That situation that you're thinking of when I started talking about Lazarus is dead? God already knew that was going to be in your life. He already knew you were going to be dealing with that. And let me tell you something. He has a plan for it. He has a plan for it. You see, God desires glory from every situation that we face. Why was man placed on the earth? For the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, for God Almighty, for his fellowship, to glorify God. That is what our purpose in life is. I could go into many ways that we can glorify God, but I'm not going to. I already see the ladies putting their shoes back on, so we'll, we'll wrap it up. In this situation, God got glory by crying, Lazarus, come forth. If you read the verses of Scripture after, John chapter 12 and on, there were many that were coming to Jesus because they heard what had happened to Lazarus. They were all at a dinner where Lazarus, which had been dead, was there. And so everybody was there because they wanted to see Lazarus as well as Jesus because it was amazing. I mean, when have you ever seen someone go to a grave and call out someone's name and have them come out of the grave? 
I thought about the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, I grew up in church, and I confess to you that at times I read them, and I'm saying, oh, that blind man got his sight. That's awesome. I mean, come on. I'm not the only one, right? He, oh, that lame man, he, he, got, he, got his, he, he was made whole. That's awesome. That's great. And we know the power of God, and we, we read it, and we, but I don't know that we comprehend it all the time. Do you understand, with all the wonderful, all-knowing medical advances that we have in, this, in our society today, that they can't give a blind man his sight back? Do you know that they can't make lame legs whole? They can put braces on them. They can cut them off and put prosthetics on, but they can't make lame legs whole. There's only one that can do that, and that's Jesus. And Jesus is the only one that can bring the dead back to life. So we look around tonight, we all ought to remember the day he did that for us personally, spiritually. When we were dead in trespasses and sin, but he quickened us. What a day when he called, Mark, come forth. Whoo, man. I, I'm glad tonight that I know I'm on my way to heaven. God has a plan for what you're going through. And God can get glory from rising from the dead that which you've had to bury. But let me say this, and I'll be done. They don't all get raised back to life in this lifetime. But there will come a day where every relationship that you've had with a loved one that's walked away from God will be restored. There's a place called heaven where all things will be made right. And if I just said that and you in your heart said, I don't want to wait that long, you probably need to check up. Because God's plan is always right. And until we get to a place in our own lives where we surrender that to the Lord, we can never give him the glory that he deserves from the situation we're going through. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless tonight your word.